those days when you have so many things in the service, you think, oh, to, uh, to have more time, because every piece of it is good. Cindy and I remodeled our home several years ago, and along with the help of, with, of many Chapel Hill friends, there were many remodeling decisions we made that we came to regret. The steamer in the shower was one of them. But there were some decisions that we made that we were so right about. And one of those decisions was to put our jacuzzi tub in our, in our bathroom. Uh, there is nothing like, at the end of the day of hard work, when you are sore in pain, sitting down into that hot bath of bubbling therapeutic water, and you know the, the, the word that cannot help but escape your lips when you sink down into those healing waters. It is ah. This morning, we come to an ah verse. It is like therapeutic waters boiling up over our sore bodies after 21 chapters of the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to read it, and I want to see if you can spot the ah verse as we come to God's holy word today. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And now God reveal these things which are true to us, that we might live in your truth and worship you in righteousness and truth. For we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Did you see the obverse? This morning's text is actually a continuation of last week's study on that glorious vision that comes out of Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 21, the vision of a new Jerusalem, a vision of a time when God himself will wipe our tears from our eyes and there will be no more pain and no more death, no more mourning, no more cancer. No more death. No more dying. It is a, it's a glorious vision and one that gives us hope. Today's text finishes that vision out. Uh, I would have loved to include it, but it was just too much last week. Even so, we, it was a lot, a lot to digest last week. But this morning we come to the, the finish of it. And we, we realize once again that this, this new Jerusalem is really a recreation. It is a return to paradise. Because this text this morning, above all of the rest of the text, is real Garden of Eden text. Did you see that? Why? Why are we returning to paradise when we come to this verse? Well, what was it about Eden that we are reminded of? We are reminded that this is a garden city. This is a city that even though it's made of buildings and made of, of streets that are paved with gold so precious that you are so pure you can see right through it, still right down the middle of that main street of gold flows a what? A river. And what kind of river? The river of life. The river of life. It flows right from the throne of God. The one who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. The, the, the source of this healing water comes forth right from the throne of God. And on either side, somehow, it says just the tree of life. Somehow, though, the tree of life grows on both sides of the river. And it produces how many crops? 
12 crops, 12 crops, there's those numbers again. In other words, there's an endless source of food, endless source of sustenance. And from the, wi- the rivers of this water, from the crystal clear waters, comes healing. And from the leaves of the tree of life comes healing. You see how this is back to Eden again? It is back to paradise again. For in the Garden of Eden, it was watered by a river. It explicitly says so. It was watered by a river that came to it. And contained within that garden were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And you'll recall, in fact, that those were the two trees that Adam and Eve were told they could not partake of. They could eat anything else in the garden, but they could not eat of those trees. And yet, what did they choose to do? They partook of those trees because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. That is what was going on here. But we come back to this wonderful promise now of a new Eden, a new river of life, trees that, a tree of life that is available for all and not held back from any. I have seen many cities with canals. I've seen Venice. I've seen uh, Fort Lauderdale, Amsterdam, San Antonio. There are none of these that are going to compare to this garden city paradise that we will see. And it was here in the midst of this wonderful, fertile garden text that we find our Ah, verse. Did you see it? What verse is it? Verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. Let's say it together. No longer will there be any curse. And you hear that. You cannot help but go, Ah, finally. Finally, after 21 chapters of plagues and famines... Finally, after seven seals and seven trumpets and seven dishes, after famine and warfare, pestilence, tyranny and death, after bloodshed and persecution, after dragons and sea beasts and land beasts, after all these curses, we hear those wonderful words, no more curse. Ah, except, I don't think that's what John was talking about. Certainly it will be a relief for us to be delivered from the curse of Satan, from the curse of his minions as we find in this book, from the curse of plagues, the curse of the horrible things that will come upon the earth in some form or the other when all things are finally culminated and God sets up his kingdom on this earth. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. I don't think that's the curse that he is alluding to here. Because we need to think back once again to the old paradise. What happened after they ate of the tree? What happened after they blew it in the first garden paradise? They were kicked out. After they ate of the tree of life, Genesis tells us what occurred. What occurred, Genesis 3? They were cursed. They were cursed. Do you see it? They were cursed. God cursed the serpent, first of all. Then he cursed the woman and said, In pain you shall give birth. He cursed even the ground in which they toiled. He said it's going to produce thistles and thorns and and you will labor to produce fruit fruit from which you will be able to partake, which you will be able to eat. So maybe this is the most painful part of, of all of the curse. They were kicked out of paradise. No longer were they able to be with God. No longer were they able to walk with God. Why was that? Because the Lord said they might try to eat from the tree of life. They've already eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand, God said, and eat from the tree of life. And he must not do that. Because now they are in sin. And so they kicked them out. And from that moment on, the curse occurred. From that moment on, we were marked, indelibly stained, marked with sin. Every man, every woman 
we bore the indelible stain of sin on our souls. Nothing could hide it. Not from ourselves, not from our God. Everyone had it. We were cursed, all of us. That was the curse to which he alludes. You will remember last November, a small group of us traveled back to Israel for the second time. We were studying how we might partner with groups there working in different Christian villages. And you're hearing some of the reports coming back even now as we are acting upon the decisions that were made. We stayed in a hotel in the old city of Jerusalem. And one of the benefits of that was early in the morning we got a chance to get up when there were no one in the streets and make our way to these various precious holy sites. One day Rick Murray and I walked to the, the uh, Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, as, uh, we, as they prefer to have it called, and we prayed together. The next day, Rick and I got up again early in the morning, four or five or something. We began walking and we made our way to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the place of the resurrection of Jesus, the traditional site. It's always a crazy place to go in midday because it's just packed out. But when we went at that time of the day, it was absolutely quiet. And we walked in and we found to our delight that there was actually an English-speaking mass taking place. So we joined right in. Rick was feeling very nervous with his former Catholic ties. He was feeling guilty about it. I said, ah, shake it off. We'll work it through here. God knows what's going on. So we, took, we stood right in there. We partook of the host. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus at the reputed site of it uh, in this holy of holy places. And we left higher in kites. We were walking back and talking about this wonderful experience of, the, of worship and, and the wonderful experience, of, uh, a renewed experience of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we made our way back through the vacant streets of the city, we looked ahead and we saw a man ahead of us who was walking with a shuffled and odd gait. And we kind of noticed him, but he was still far in the distance and, and the, the street was angling up and, and so we continued to talk. But we looked again and, and he kind of moved along in a very shuffled way. And suddenly as we were looking at him, this man wheeled around almost suspiciously, almost as if he was paranoid. He wheeled around and looked at us. And the glimpse that we got of this man's face was so horrifying that it took our breaths away. He was the most disfigured person that I have ever seen in my life. His face was a mass of purple and black fibrous knots. And it was so horrifying that it, literally we, it, we, it took our breaths away and, and we made comment to each other of what we had just seen and, and averted our gaze, looked down again. The man turned around and continued to walk on and we were walking in the same direction but it, ter- it turns out that we were walking faster than he. As we drew close to this poor man, two girls, uh, students, were walking from the other direction and we happened to pass him at the same time that the girls passed in the other direction. As we passed, we heard the man say, good morning. We assumed, we prayed that he was talking to the girls. And so we kept walking. And then to my shame, he said it again, louder. Good morning. And I knew he was talking to us. So we stopped and we turned around. And there once again was this face. And I was ashamed. And so I walked back to him. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, how are you? He says, I'm fine. How are you? I said, I'm fine. My name is Mark. What is your name? He says, I'm Emir. I said, I'm pleased to meet you, Emir. He had newspapers. I said, do you sell those papers? He said, yes. I said, do you have any English papers? He said, yes. I said, how much is it? He said, two dollars. If he'd asked $50, I would have paid it at that moment. (laughs) 
And so I bought the paper and I said, goodbye. And we walked back, Rick and I, with a, a sense of shame and guilt that some of you can imagine as you're shaking your head. For here, coming as we were from the resurrection celebration, from the celebration of the Mass, coming back from a place where we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord who touched the lepers, we had an opportunity to love one of God's beautiful children, and we, were, we failed. For he was marked with this curse of a face. He was indelibly stained with this curse of a face that caused us to recoil, to pull back, involuntarily, but we did so nonetheless. Now comes the glorious news of this text yet again. The curse has been lifted. All of the suffering and death that has been brought upon us by our rebellion against God, he says the curse is no more. All of the loneliness and the rejection and the disfigurement of sin is gone. It is removed from us. So how was this curse lifted? How is it that suddenly we have our garden back? How is it suddenly that we are made clean and that we have relationship with one another and with God, that which was stolen from us in the garden? How does it come back to us? Paul gives us the clue in Galatians 3.13. For he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a what? A curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In Deuteronomy it says, anyone who hangs from a tree is cursed. The Lord God himself allowed himself to become a curse for our sakes so that the disfigurement, the the curse, the sin might be removed from us and that we could go from being outcast to being back in the garden city again. There's not one of us here this morning who hasn't experienced a sense of shame and failure and guilt that I felt that day. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell the story about. Not one of us. Because though we are delivered from the sin, we still fight with it. I invite you today to come to the communion table again. Last time, I didn't do so hot as I walked away from this table. I invite us all to come again and to be reminded of God's healing, delivering, cleansing, refining grace as it comes to us in his gift of body and blood as we celebrate it this day. This is for everyone who loves Jesus. This is for everyone who is sorry for every person they have turned their back on, every disfigured soul that they were embarrassed of. If you are guilty of that, this is for you. Reminder that there is no more curse.